Welcome back to Arts About. Show about art that's a work of art in itself. Good morning, Mark and Sally, the gorgeous Sally Bailey. Oh, the gorgeous Sally Bailey. I like she that. Is. That's We'll have to nice. extend on it. Yes, welcome back to Arts About, everybody. The show that is brought to you by the generosity of the McClellan Sculpture Park and Gallery. And you're here once again in the Artable Peace Studios with cultural sounding board and artist in residence, John Baird, for thermodynamic Mark Stewart and me. I wrote down Tyler's, but John Tyler's says... is good. <laughs> Tyler's <laughs> says Sally Bailey. <laughs> what? <laughs> welcome. What's on for you this week, John? What have you been up to? Uh, I've... Nothing. Nothing. I've got, I've got nothing to say this week, so I'm going to kind of handball most of what I've got to think about over into the brain of Mark Stewart, and oh, so I'm going to mess it. around in there and see what happens. Oh, yeah, that's always quite good, isn't it? We it's could talk fun. quite, quite for quite a long time about nothing. Yeah, if you like. If yeah, you know we could. We do. We do. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, what are you going to talk to us about uh, today? I'm going to just mention a little bit uh, Antonio Vivaldi. Uh, and I'm going to talk about the Australian, an article in the Australian about um, what words we can and cannot use in the, these days. Ah, yes, okay. Actually, I saw a very interesting uh, thing on, I think it was the YouTube just in the last couple of days, and it was Rowan Atkinson talking about exactly that subject, really, what we can and can't say and how it's just gotten completely out of control mm. and that it's actually um, contributing to an autocratic, uh, state. You know, overpowering state. Yeah, that's right. Yes. I can't remember what the title was, but he, it was a, well, he I'll, held I'll, a press conference. Yes, Fantastic. Well, I'll fill Because well, co uh, comedians are having a lot of problems because comedians were the one people who could say basically what they like and get away with it. But yes. even they're being held. Yes, well, know. perhaps he's standing up for comedians mm, across hopefully. the... Yes. Now, John and I went along to the opening of the Under Southern Skies at Southern Boy last weekend. Oh, we did too. Yes, we did, mm -hmm. and uh, found a thriving and very lively group of artists there. Um, artists? Yes, lots of artists there who'd normally have their studios spread out all across the, the Mornington Peninsula and and for a couple of weeks they've got an exhibition called Under Southern Skies at mm. Southern Boy. Um, which is you better be very careful, Mark, about looking down your nose at this kind of stuff, you know, because uh, every one of those pictures in there is something that someone's made. It's an offering of some sort and yeah, they're true. quite they're genuine and they're, uh, they're doing what they can to offer what, they need to offer to you, essentially. Yeah, so yeah. you should go along and have a look. It's not going to blow your mind in terms of uh, high-end visual art, but it's good. No, I have yeah. been there, John. I remember that uh, the young boy who's painting those trees and landscapes. Oh, yeah. That, that sort yeah. of um, method that people use these days. Beautiful paintings, quite yeah. beautiful. Well, I think they're also kind of at doing a wonderful thing by contributing to this growing artistic entity on the Mornington Peninsula. And and you know what? Feeding into this thing, we've got this thing that's really growing down here. This the, the, this enormous um, tourist industry, and uh, in a way, it's quite a clever um, use of that because they're actually tapping into that. They're actually saying, "Here, we're a commodity in this tourist market. There's wine, there's food, there's also look. We've got artists down uh, here. Come and have a look at our studios. Maybe buy some work." Yes, well, it's always the same in every country that has a lovely sort of, um, countryside around. The main city nothing sells out of the main city it's all happening in the cities well that's themselves. true it's not mm. in the country not even in the suburbs 
it's a case every, worldwide, and it's the same mm. in the Mornington Peninsula. You can include as many people as you like, but they're not going to sell as they professionally, as John knows very well, as they do in a, in a professional gallery in the city. So it's you know it is sincere, it is genuine, mm. but at the same time, it's you know I, sometimes I think you should pass a license to be an artist. It's not just because oh, you've yeah. got a bit of spare time on your hands that you can be. It's a whole. That'd frosting. be a good idea. I could introduce that and then fail. Exactly, John. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Well, you wouldn't if I was testing, John, with flying colours. Well, so. anyway, look, it's a wonderful opportunity for anybody down here who has wondered about the uh, Peninsula Studio Trail, wondered who they should go and see, because here is an opportunity to see them all under one loop, uh, under ro- blah, 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 all under one roof, and get an idea of, of which ones you might like to go and it see. It made me think about something else as well, because mm. all of these things are for sale. And uh, there's a lot of art for sale these days, Mark. There's a lot of noise out there in the marketplace. And uh, it seems to me that people who are buying art don't necessarily know anything about art. <clears throat> and one of the things, one of the ways they judge whether or not they want to buy something is the swing tag. And Also often, whether they have a space on the wall. Often people will think, oh, that's pretty expensive. It must be good. Yeah. And, and the more... Or... The- that's yeah. not very expensive. It can't be yes. good. You know? yeah, well, certainly. And certainly the more that you expose yourself to on either ends of those scales, the more you're likely to actually end up having an opinion yourself, I suppose. As yeah, well. well, you learn on the way, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. You do. You learn to keep away from it too. <laughs> well, you know, deciding what you like and what you don't like is a really big part of it and, well, and why you don't and like I, it. I you think know? this is a big problem for, for the world is that we're even afraid to say what we like and what we don't like because we're afraid of hurting people's feelings. Well, we're either afraid of hurting people's feelings or we're afraid of being embarrassed. And that's why that this whole idea of the scale, you know, the financial scale of art becomes the thing that people make their decisions upon. And, you know, that's is that really valid? I don't well, think Well, no, it it's is. not valid at no. all because it's, that's one why there's so much uh, sort of free, flowing cash in the art world because it is an abstraction. There's no fixed figure. Yeah. The only way things are judged is whether they're sold in an auction house or not. Yeah. And a lot of paintings are put into auction houses and, and bid up by the people, their friends, their mothers or something. And are it's therefore a, worth whatever someone's prepared to pay for it. That's right. And it's the same as it. real estate. And, and Exactly. So it, it depends on, you know, there's people, I was thinking about Antoine Messonnier this morning, the, one of the most famous Parisian artists of the end of the 19th century, completely and utterly forgotten about. His paintings are worth nothing now. Mm. He was, a, you know, he was the man of the time. We've got to be careful of this. But then, you know, what's happening in the suburbs is definitely... Perhaps we should buy a few of those pictures and promote them through I the would, auction I houses. Would, I could find them. But are you making yeah. a note there, Mark? Are you noting down? <laughs> I don't need to zip my brain, <laughs> <laughs> also on the program today, we're going to be talking to Ryan Murphy. He's the director of the first of the Little Theatre Company's dramatic plays to be presented at the Alex Theatre in St Kilda, and it's opening at the end of the month, called Chemistry, and I'm about to get him on the line. So while I do that, here is a song by Prince. Got to be one of my favourite artists in the world. This is called Starfish and Coffee. Here it comes. The Little Theatre Company creates a platform for anyone who feels their artistic voice and worldviews aren't being seen or heard. Based at the Alex Theatre in St Kilda, the company boasts two artistic directors, Karen Fairfax, with whom I've often worked and who helped me begin Arts About in the Dim Dark Past many years ago, and also Ryan Murphy, who's in rehearsals right now for the company's debut drama at the Alex in St Kilda. It's called Chemistry and was written by young Californian playwright Jacob Marks Rice 
um, and poses a question about whether or not you can trust someone else when you are already in a battle with your own brain. I've got Ryan on the phone this morning to, to fill us in a little bit on that. Good morning, Ryan. Welcome to Arts About. Hello, Sally. Thank you for having me. Thanks for taking the time. Uh, yeah. Uh, Ryan, I've heard nothing but great things about this young American playwright who's said of his work that he tries to write comedies but everybody ends up crying. Mm. Who, is, who is Jacob Marks Rice? Um, he's, uh, as you just said, a young American play, playwright who um, writes works that seem to be sort of in step and in line with um, people his own age uh, about issues that we, we, we can face and um, he's sort of unapologetic about digging deep into these issues and exploring them and putting them out to the audience and going, here you go, here's a thought mm. um, about this issue and let's talk about it. So he's, um, he's a young and up-and-coming playwright. I think he's now based in New York. Um, he works for a theatre company there and um, yeah, hopefully he'll have a long um, career ahead of him. Well, I know that he has been winning uh, awards and certainly lots and lots of nominations yeah. for his work, particularly Chemistry. Can you give us a little brief synopsis of that play? Sure. So Chemistry, we have um, two characters, Jamie and Steph. Um, both of them uh, have um, their challenges with their mental health. Um, they meet by chance in their psychiatrist's office. Um, and a love story ensues. Um, but the interesting part of the whole play is they come from two different um, perspectives on the idea of mental health and their mental health challenges. One of them thinks that we don't treat it um, like an illness. We treat it as if it's um, someone's choice. As if, um, you know, and then the other argument is as if we don't invest in it enough. Um, and it's, it's and through that entire argument is a love story, and mm. um, it, it challenges um, sort of society's view on mental health and asks people to dig a little bit deeper, think a little bit deeper, um, and get to know these characters. And, it, and I'm sure it's going to leave audiences they'll exit the theatre and immediately start talking about um, what this play has left for them. Mm, because it's an increasing uh, phenomena in modern society. I, I read somewhere that it's almost one in six people in America who are on uh, psychiatrically prescribed drugs. Um, mm. And I presume that, that those numbers are probably heading up a little bit in, in, in this country as well. It's a very contemporary problem and, and I guess uh, perfect ground for discussion about you know, where this leaves us. What, how does this impact on our lives and on our communities? Absolutely. And it's, it's interesting with, you know, I'm in my um, late 20s and the actors are in their late 20s. And even now for young millennials like ourselves, we find issues like this sort of hard to talk about and being open and honest about struggling, feeling depressed. Um, you know, it, it, we feel as if we're complaining mm -hmm. a lot. And this play examines that idea and and yeah, I don't, I don't want to give too much away, but no, it, um, no. it, it really delves into those ideas and, and talks about them quite openly and honestly. Now, you're in rehearsals as we speak. I think the play opens on the 29th, which is a week away. Uh, yes. How's it going? It's going well. It's, um, it's, really, it's really quite amazing. We've um, 
sort of hit the ground running. We did some pre-rehearsals with the actors, just, you know, delving into the script. There's a lot to pull out of it. Um, and we've just, part of our the Little Theatre Company's manifesto is to foster new talent. Yep. So our two actors, Monique Fisher and Thomas Fiver, um, uh, in their uh, mid-twenties, um, and they're just quite incredible to watch, and, and it's, it's going really well. I couldn't be more happy, which is Oh, good. that's great. And did they know each other beforehand? No, they didn't know each mm. other. We, um, um, uh, Monique uh, had come and done a few readings of the play for us, and we just, the minute she, she did the first reading, we thought, oh, here we go, this is, this is our actor. Um, and Thomas auditioned and um, was brilliant, and they, they met on the first day of rehearsals pretty much. Now, um, I know that Jacob uh, Marks Rice has said that he likes to work in spaces that, that ricochet, that his words apparently, between comedy and tragedy and weird theatrical mm. tricks and beautiful imagery. Mm. It sounds like it's going to be quite challenging for you. Um, yeah, it and is. And them, and I it, should say. And them, yeah. It's, um, it, it's an interesting play in the sense that you find yourself laughing a lot, even when they're talking quite deeply about um, whether it's suicide or their mental health issues. It's, it, he's written this play so beautifully that it, it, it's, so, it's, it's so incredibly human. Um, and, and it's sort of a naturalistic text that we're playing within a non-naturalistic setting. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're trying to create images and, and, um, and you know, the use of light and sound and all of that to kind of enhance the play itself. Is it set yeah. in America or is it uh, is it here or could it be anywhere? Um, I, we it is set in America. Um, I I truly believe you could set it anywhere. It is a universal story, so I, I put it anywhere. You put it in Melbourne, Sydney, um, but we've chosen to to keep it in America. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And tell me, have there been many productions in Australia so far of his work, or is this sort of new? No, I think. Um, it, just by chance, I think there's a Sydney production going up later in the year as well. But as far as I know, um, we're the first. Oh, that's that's very exciting. Air. Yeah, that's really yeah. that's great because he sounds as if he may is you know going to be quite an important writer from the from what I have read about him. Absolutely, I think so. Yeah. Now, the yeah. Alex Theatre have given uh, the Little Theatre Company a home, and uh, you're creating your own independent work in there. I understand. Yeah, um, yes, Alex um, Vact, who um, uh, operates the Alex Theatre, um, gave us this incredible space um, and some support and said, OK, I believe in you, here you go, come in, do your work, um, which is incredibly rare. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's quite, it was quite mind-blowing at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we're in this space... Um, and we and, and our aim is to put on three works. So chemistry is our first, um, and then we're looking into uh, early next year and mid next year for the next two mm-hmm. works. Um, and he's supporting us through his production company as well, Bass Productions. And um, Alex has done incredible work for the arts community and the community at, at large. And he's just been recognised with an Order of Australia Medal for his contribution to the arts. And, and this is just one of his many things that he's done for independent artists. Go Alex Vass.
Yes, absolutely. Uh, oh, that's terrific. That's that's very yeah. exciting. Um, yeah. Now, I also read this morning that uh, you've sold out your opening night, so tickets are obviously uh, going quite well. That's really exciting. Yeah. Um, and uh, how do people get along to see it? It's running for two weeks from the 29th of August to the Friday the 14th. Yes. So Ticketek is the best way, ticketek.com.au, mm-hmm. and you just type in the search bar chemistry and we'll pop up. Wonderful. I will, of course, be putting links on our Facebook page about that. Um, It's thrilling to hear. I can't wait to get up and see it myself. And uh, thank you so much for taking your time to talk to us today, Ryan Murphy from the Little Theatre Company. Thank you for having me. Great to talk to you today. See you soon. Bye. Bye. So that's pretty exciting. Good old uh, Alex Vass, eh? Yeah. Awards, medals. Mm, it's not easy, that uh, the world of theatre. Now, uh, we're going to have another track, I think, in a minute. I, this time I thought we, we haven't heard anything from John Lennon for a very long time. and um, That's because he's dead. It is because he's dead, but I just found this. I thought it would be fun. So we were just talking about, while we were listening to that track, about John Lennon and Yoko Ono, and John posed a question, actually, which was quite interesting, which I hadn't thought about, which was, which came first, the White Album or the White Exhibition? Indeed. And mm-hmm. I don't know what the answer is, but I know that they were very, both very sort of uh, benchmark events, the White Exhibition and the White Album. Yeah, but she was definitely a uh, famous contemporary performance artist in Japan. She was the artist. Yeah. yeah. Lennon yeah. was a, a, she was a pop star before Yoko came along. Yeah. Yeah. We've she got had her a big influence on his artistry. Mm. Yeah. And her, those lovely recordings of a woman having an orgasm that she managed to make, which are quite astounding. Yeah, I haven't got that in the. I've never collection. heard them. I, I've heard they, about them. They go but for about have three or four minutes. Would they? Was, yeah. that, was that the thing that she did when she was in the potato sack? That's well, the thing is, when you're recording you, uh, an orgasm, you don't really hear the potato sack so much. Well, it's, you're her. muffled. You're muffled through well, fabric, presumably. She, well, yeah, I couldn't tell whether she was being muffled by a potato sack or, <laughs> or what was going on, really. Okay. Perhaps not what you were paying attention to. But she to. didn't sound like, in fact, you know, in Japanese porn, all the girls, they, they sound like squealing chickens. It's very oh, interesting, the sound they? they make when they're seeming having pleasure, but it mm. didn't sound like that. So she obviously had a Western influence on her <laughs> orgasmic <laughs> sounds. Okay, good to know. Um, now, yeah. last night I was extremely lucky to be able to go in and to a, um, a special private viewing of the uh, MoMA exhibition at the NGV, which was rather fabulous. Uh, it was really nice actually to go back and revisit because mm. I hadn't, uh, you know, that when we when we went and we've talked about it before on the program, of course, um, you know, you're with this sort of surging crowd that's moving through it that pushes you through and it was a lot more whimsical. The, the Not Mark, of course. Mark no, Mark, Mark always own. barges through way on ahead, doesn't he? Well, <laughs> before yeah, anybody even gets there. in there, yeah. yes. <laughs> Yes, I know. But it is true. It makes a huge difference how you can re- relate to the paintings, especially if there's not too many. Were there many people in the in No, the there weren't. There were probably only about uh, 100 probably spread out through mm. there. And uh, it was nice to go back and look at those first couple of rooms, which we sort of pushed through a little bit, I think. And was this the evening? Or was yes, it, it So was. it was night time. It, it was, was night yeah, time. Which is, I, I just think the ex- uh, gallery should be open more often at night because it makes such a difference to the, to the, the, the lighting, to the, yes. uh, the way you see 
paintings and especially sculptures. Speaking of which, I, abs- now, I, I absolutely adored and, and stood in front of that wonderful, wonderful sculpture. Um, Umberto Boccioni's. Boccioni's, uh, yes, figure, which I had completely, I had got it completely wrong in my mind. And I think last time we spoke about it, I said it was a Brancusi. And of course, it no. isn't a Brancusi no, at no. all. No, it's, no. Um, there is a Brancusi there, of course. And a, uh, a reproduction of the Brancusi in like 40 years later by an American artist. Yes, is it the um, the, the round... bird in flight? In... Oh, mm. I don't think I looked at that again last night. Oh, don't talk to me about Brancusi. Uh, <laughs> why? Mark doesn't like Brancusi. No, I find him, he, he had such work. an influence on so many mostly American um, abstract sculptors working in marble and they're all doing their Brancusi. And Actually, Brancusi was wasn't... God. It wasn't the bird in flight, was it? It was, it was the egg. The egg, you know, yes. the, the, the head laying on its side. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. The sleeping head. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're very sort of whimsical. You know, he, he, he was a, um, a great craftsman. He, mm-hmm. he managed to polish his bronze right down to, the, to its essence. Right. And he, he was brilliant. But he, a good bronze polisher, in other words. A good bronze polisher. <laughs> and, you know, his endless column is, is uh, apparently quite amazing. I, I haven't been to Romania. The other yet. one, the one that you adore. Yes. The, who, the, and he's the, a futurist, and the futurists <laughs> were interesting. They were, uh, like, it started in Italy, I think, didn't it, the futurists? Uh, yes, the, it was the futurists. Marinelli or Marinelli? Mar- Marinelli, I think yeah. his name was. He, he uh, very much into uh, the fast cars, speed, rockets, yeah. um, planes. Well, that sculpture just says it all in all it's of those all about things. Movement, it's so yeah. dynamic and, yeah. and which is so unusual in a bronze, really, isn't well, it? Well, there's a sculpture by, uh, there's a head by um, Picasso around, I think it was around 1908. I'm, it's around the similar time of uh, one of his lovers and it's it's a cubist head which has a similar feeling to it where you just going you can see it in you see it moving right and you have uh, painters like Bala who did the uh, the dog walking with the yep. leash which we know mm. quite the well. little sausage dog yeah the little mm. sausage dog and you know, fa- fascist actually means a bundle of leaves it, that's the etymology of the word well fascista. that might mean what it and means but on the other hand the futurists are having their kind of fascist views um Regardless of what fascism means, what the word means in, in Italian, um, they were a dangerous people, and they uh, they were responsible for the Second World War. I reckon. Yeah, uh, I think that's exaggerating a little <laughs> bit, John. <laughs> well, they played a part in it, shall we say? Well, no, they were very much into fast that, that cars and, and speed. And, yeah, but they also and, wanted to destroy the past. It wasn't enough just to adore the future; they needed to destroy the past. Well, that was a, that's a big part of when you. You know, when you, as you know, obviously in France, the past is is quite heavy in many ways, and it's like Le Corbusier wanted to destroy Paris to rebuild it. They have these ideas which they don't necessarily put into action, thank God, but they, you know, they were having these radical ideas uh, that that you know, they were trying to change. Uh, it's the, a very the, brutal the, the philosophy. We didn't. We've never had to deal with that. We've just we just sort of annihilated our past and and you know, yeah. Moved well, on. I I quite like some of the uh, futurist architecture that came out in Italy during that period, actually. And uh, fascist or futurist, both. Yeah, if you think yeah. of the Porte Chaillot in Paris is a, fasc- uh, a fascist architecture. It's quite you know, it, it's int- when it's well done, it's magnificent. Yeah. But Which one is that? The that's port- the one at Trocadero where you ah. with the museum, oh, yeah. the Tokyo in Museum. Or the good yeah. one is the, um, the 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 railway of of Turin, Torino. The, ah. the uh, Grand Railway there is is a fascist. All the all the autostradas and all the the bridges are all built by Muslims. And those those apartment developments in Rome that. Um, 
the filmmaker, what's his name? He loved uh, Fellini. Fellini. Loved so much, you know. He made a lot of films wandering around through those um, fascist apartment blocks in yeah. Rome. Well, John, when you think of it, the, uh, we we missed it here, but the, France and Italy were both and Spain very communist in the beginning of, after the First World War. There was this whole movement towards you know, the uh, opening up the cities sure. and and. Mm-hmm giving more people the power to live in the city in these high-rises, which were not really very pretty. But I reckon the greatest expression of all of that is probably Brasilica. You know, the capital of Brazil it was built. Yes, Oscar Oh, which is, which is, a, is this the place that is completely uh, derelict? No, no, no. no. It, it's still the capital of Brazil. Oh, which what? What is it called? Brazilia, Brazil. It's like Brazilica. Canberra. It was like a Canberra, uh, but oh. it was modelled on on uh, Corbusier's kind of theories on uh, just yes, repeated shapes. And yeah. there are there are streets and streets and streets of the same building over and over and over again, which uh, is kind of mind blowingly tedious in one sense, but mm. really comforting in another. Really, there's that sort of I think there's that thing about humans like being part of it a collection or a nest or a, a group of some sort and they're all quite comfortable in this identical Gosh, I, apartments. I don't know about this at all. I'll have to... Yeah, look it up. Yeah, I will. Yeah, hey, the other thing I wanted to mention uh, before we go on is I watched over the weekend Breath, the um, Simon Baker's uh, adaption of Tim Winton's book, mm. the, which was just... I haven't seen it. It's absolutely beautiful. Mark, as I said to you earlier, you will remember that first big wave that you knew was too big for you when you were going surfing. At Winky Pop. And uh, that film sort of covers that um, that area quite successfully, I think. It's sort of, you know, that's really scary. And uh, and as I remember, it is very scary. Yeah. Big surf is very scary stuff. Well, Simon Baker, who is in the film and who has also directed it, said that um, he, in describing Tim's book, he said it viscerally captures the restless curiosity and yearning for identity that often defines our coming of age. And it it absolutely is this beautiful, uh, poetic coming of age story for young boys. And and it does use that fear, that idea of fear being the th- uh, the threat threshold in a way that you need to kind of push through and the and the power and wonder that comes from actually you know fighting your own demons or, or so stepping through in relation to the girl or to the surfing no 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 to the surfing oh, okay. absolutely to you know being going out there in those waves and really wanting to mm. be there able to surf them girl, and there is of course a girl and that mm. that also um, lends itself to the story of a young man's awakening and so on but it is such a beautifully shot film and the soundtrack to it is just so is surprising and magnificent and and um, uh, which is Richard Tognetti, who is the uh, artistic director of the Australian Chamber Orchestra. He has composed that. And curiously, actually, um, uh, we have we had on Arts About quite a few, well, a year or two ago, uh, Mick Sowry, who was the director of a film called The Reef that was or was actually an, an event called The Reef mm-hmm. and uh, that, that was on in the, in the Hamer Hall and included a lot of John Frank's cinematography of surfing over in Western Australia and Richard Tognetti's uh, soundtrack as well. So they've paired together um, on other things, of course, and, and contributed to this film, which I just think was so, Not only so beautiful. in the water, but I also loved those scenes where the two boys are riding their bikes down those dry 
crunchy oh, roads. You know, that... you know the the um, evocation of the seventies and yeah. and which is probably our childhood. It was really really every, delightful. I say go and listen. The sound was beautiful. I could hear every little leaf and twig mm. crack under the tires of those yeah. bikes. It was beautiful. Yes, yeah, a magnificent mm. film. Whatever way you can go and see it. All right, I'll try. I'll do my best. Now we need to listen to a few messages from our sponsors, and then we're going to come back for John on John and off. Mark on Mark off or whatever. And now it's time for John and Paul. Yeah. Thank you, Swanee. Mark, you and I were talking earlier about uh, Vivaldi Mm. and a piece of music you like, apparently, Vivaldi's Winter. Well, no, I like a lot of his music, but he's well known, the Quattro Stagioni, the Winter. And is the Winter a kind of. uh, I don't remember. I used to listen to the Four Seasons in the bath, Mm -hmm. but um, I don't remember the Winter passage, but I do remember. The other music that I listened to in the bath, which was songs for dead children, Marla, you know, and man, oh man, that was bath music. Kinder Tottenleider. Mm. Yes. Yeah, yeah, not a good... Lucky What's you got out called? of the bath. King, Kinder Tottenleider, songs for dead children. Oh. Yeah. Not- I heard this... His daughter's drowned. Oh, No, gosh. his 10-year-old daughter, his favourite, Margaret, she died of um, tuberculosis, oh, tuberculosis right. which was a I terrible they drowned. Form. No, no, no. Um, right, so, uh, well, we can go on about Vivaldi, if you no, like. No, 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 I'm going to sort of, I'm quite happy to no. sit here and hear what you have to say, Mark. <laughs> well, no, it's interesting. You're abdicating all it's responsibility interesting, John, because he, he was called the Red Priest, the um, Preto Rosso, because he had red hair. Who? Uh, Antonio Vivaldi. Yeah. He was born in 1678, on the 4th of March, if you'd like to know. He was a virtual violinist, teacher, and composer. His father, Giovanni was, a, well, Giovanni, was a barber, and so Antonio was always impeccably quaffed. Right. He taught... Um, quaffed red hair. Quaffed red hair. Right. He taught at the Ospedale della Pieta, which was for an orphanage for boys I and wonder, girls. I wonder, Mark. Hang on. <laughs> what, would you, what do you wonder, John? I wonder... Because I'm going to get to your... Bobaldi's era... Yeah, a quaffed hairdo. How would have that looked? Would have, that have been sort of pushed back from his forehead? And I'm going to move on to something more interesting than Antonio's hair, <laughs> which <laughs> is he taught uh-huh. orphan orphan girls mm. at the Ospedale to to his to join his renowned choir. Mm. Those who didn't didn't have the talent were sold off as slaves. What? Now his Quattro Stagioni was a revolution in many ways because it was a he was trying to um, in, in musical conception because he w- wanted to represent flowing creeks, singing birds of different species, each specifically characterized, barking dogs, buzzing mosquitoes, crying shepherds, storms, drunken dancers, all this in the Quattro Stagioni. He was the Ross Edwards of his time. Si- silent nights, hunting parties from both the hunters and the prey's point of view, Frozen landscapes, ice skating children, warming winter fires, eating pizza and anal sex. Do you think of all of those things when you're listening to Four Seasons? (laughs) I've got to say, I'm not sure that I do. Especially the pizza and anal sex part. This is the um, what's called program music. And and coming back to Gustav Mahler, he always said there's no such thing as program music. The music is the the reason that music is the highest of the arts. Apparently, is because it's so, so abstract. It doesn't have a you know, it doesn't have to remind you of anything. It just is by itself, which is what we're trying to say abstract yeah. painting is. It, it doesn't have to be a story. 
No. I'm interested but in girls singing rather than being slaves, you know. <laughs> well, John, you can't I'd believe be everything I put into here. But the, the other thing is he, he died uh, in poverty. He, he went to Vienna and with, at the invitation of the Emperor Charles VI, and, and Charles died as he got there, and he died in poverty. And his music disappeared until Ezra Pound found it about 200 years later. The great Ezra Pound. Who was mad. Hmm. Now, listen, the, I'm speaking about the Ionian enchantment. Which yeah. was oh yeah, you uh, mentioned that yeah. last week, and so, we cut you off, didn't yeah. we? The Ionian cha- natural philosophers of the sixth and fifth centuries BC sought to understand the world <laughs> as a whole and in naturalistic terms, not mythological or theological ones. Now, now I want to ask about Ionic that? because is Ionic re- referencing it's a, part, a time? Just that small or is part it of Greece, yeah. And the time is the sixth and fifth centuries B- BC, okay. characterized by the Ionic yeah. column. So, with, does, is that because of its, ti- its because time? Because it's time, or of its yeah. simplicity? It's not because it's I- ironic. No, it's Ionic. Ionic. No, no, <laughs> yeah. no. I did know that. No. So, yeah. well, some of those columns are ironic. Yes, they are. <laughs> <laughs> True. There's quite a lot of them down in Port Notions that are very ironic. So they. There's a, a, a Italian author called Lucio Russo who wrote The Forgotten Revolution, How Science Was Born in 330 BC. He shows that in the Hellenistic era, the century and a half after Aristotle, authentic scientific thinking began to transform the cultural s- culture centered on Athens, the Aegean, and Alexandria. Then it ground to a halt because of an anti-scientific cultural trend, Christianity, and the memory of most of its achievements was forgotten almost until our time. Now, this brings me on to... So there's a bit of a theme here, isn't there? Forgotten things that have returned to our consciousness. That's the better part, but also the fact that that people go against what was um, the scientific theory of of before. And now, as you know, I'm a constant reader of the Australian. Mm. which I thought was just a newspaper until people started commenting that uh, it was a right-wing wag and how could I read uh, Rupert Murdoch, etc. Rupert must be doing something right because he's married to Jerry that Hall. That microphone's just moving mm. away yes, from you, mate. Yes, talking to Mark. Uh, do you remember Jerry Hall? Yes. She's now his fourth wife. Yes. I met her in the Bandusha popular um, club during oh, yeah. the 70s and 80s oh, in Paris. Oh, that would have been the time to meet her. Yes, so she would have absolutely. been incredible. She was stunningly beautiful a vision of woman at her best, just radiating peace and goodness. I don't know if that's still the case now, but I think she must be doing, uh, Rupert must be doing all right, especially after his Chinese fiasco. Now, whatever... Why was that a fiasco? Oh, she she got caught making love with Tony Blair, his wife. Really? Yes. I didn't know that. Terrible. Um, what do you think of, jo- of, uh, of the Australian? The journalism is good. It's well written. It's unafraid. And there was mm-hmm. an article in this week, uh, weekend Australian by Janet Elberson called 1984 Groupthink, Thought Crime are Alive and Spreading. She speaks of her son at school and how he's learning about the dangers of books and words, uh, how th- things like sexual assault and sexual harassment are being um, used after the telling of a bad joke. Our boys have to be careful not to use the word moist around girls. They don't mention wet, hot, juicy or dripping, (laughs) but... But moist, you're not allowed to see. Well, there was a ve- there was always a very funny thing in Monty Python uh, played up about the word moist. It was always it was like, ah, don't say moist. Well, they're not allowed to say. I'm glad Monty Python got there first. And girls are not allowed to say words like bulge or stiff or hard. 
because uh, the boys might get embarrassed. So, oh, you know, goodness the, me. So we're moving on to Victoria Department of Health and Human Services has told public servants that the first Wednesday of every month will be They Day, which is about the need for gender-neutral pronouns. It will allow people to self-define and to make space so their pronouns are legitimate and respected. So is Pufter a uh, pronoun or dyke? Or no. Sh- no, 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 or shirtlifter. No, or no, 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 they're not pronouns. No, it's him yeah. and her, and and. I don't and object to those words, Mark. I'm just trying to figure out what a pronoun actually uh, is. <laughs> well, it's the, it's the word that describes a noun, so it's right. it's a him or yeah. a her, right. or his yeah, yeah. or you hers, can't, you or can't, because these gender confused. And and so it it actually is quite difficult if you if you are with somebody who is in that process of changing sex or in between or transitioning transitioning, thank you or or is somewhere sits somewhere identifiably in the middle what how do you you say z apparently well that's right it is it it actually uh, causes a little bit of a disconnect in communicate in in conversation because we're so used to attributing one sex or another to nouns or you know to to people particularly that it is we don't have a word french do no well that's the thing because i was always confused when french when you meet a woman you say mademoiselle or madame and you can't you not not a lot of people wear rings these days so it was always difficult to know you did explain that to me yes so what about um, you know what mark told me about madame and mademoiselle anyone who's uh, 20 years or younger mademoiselle anyone over 50 mademoiselle (laughs) yes everybody else madam okay (laughs) so how do the french do the french have a pronoun for transsexuals or intersex is there i I don't know not not when Mm. i was there but um i'm sure there will be yeah, yeah, I yeah think I'm sure it's, uh, it's, all, it's all going that way. But we're, yeah, we're defining language in a way that um, yeah, we're, we're going to define ourselves out of. So a lot of that stuff that you were talking about just then, Mark, appalls me. The, uh, the nature of people's fear mm. is such that, uh, you know, the, the things that we're afraid of. And protecting kids, it just goes, it goes far. I mean, you can't fool a child. The child knows exactly what's going mm. on, and, and you're mostly... That's I mean, like not telling kids the score in a football game. You know, they know what the score is. Yeah, mm. <laughs> exactly. But look, we'll see what happens with uh, you know with the kids whether they can say what they want. Have to make them watch more Monty Python now. Now, you, I, I've got a track that I'm going to play for you in a second. You wanted to hear a little bit of the Vivaldi Four Seasons. Yes. Shall we finish up with that? Yes. And Winter. then we'll, and then you know the what pizza, time it is after that, don't you?